0: There's a lot we're doing today, and it's wonderful. What a joy. We get to um, host today with our dear friends Jordan and Jackie, who come from Boise, Idaho, um, which is beautiful. It's so exciting. And um, they pastor River House. Uh, which is just an incredible community. Julian has been there with them and just hosting the presence of God, seeing signs and wonders and freedom coming to the city through their ministry. And so it's our joy and privilege to be hosting them. And... Um, Jordan is going to be preaching today, continuing our series on the church, the wisdom of God on display. Uh, He'll be speaking on the wisdom of God through church leadership. Um, And then after Jordan preaches, we'll uh, pray for Julian um, into eldership. So won't you stand with me and honor Jordan as he comes to speak?
1: That's kind of messed up. I have to follow this beautiful tear ceremony. Oh man, I'm really happy to be here. I'm just going to pray. Let's just pray together. And Lord, we thank you that you're here. And we just say, Lord, continue to come. God, we thank you the train of your robe is here. And we just say, would it keep filling and filling this temple? We are hungry to hear the voice of the Lord in this house. Lord, we would ask that your very word that is sharper than a two-edged sword, Lord, it can pierce to the very depths of our being. And we say, God, speak. Let the whisper, let the voice, let the thunder, however you would desire to communicate, we open our hearts, our minds, our ears, our inner being, everything. God, we just orient and open for the word of the Lord to come from heaven to earth and to minister to our hearts. And if you believe that, if you desire that, say yes and amen. Amen. Well, I'm really happy to be here. I'm here with my beautiful wife, Jackie. You can wave, everybody. Jackie, you can wave. Yeah, you guys can all wave at her. Uh, We are from Boise. We pastor a church called River House. Next Sunday will be our, like, seven-year birthday. So we're, like, four years ahead of y'all. Um, I, we don't farm potatoes in Idaho. Idaho's pretty cool, Boise's a cool city. If you haven't been there, it's all right, you don't need to come because everybody moves there when they come, am I not right? Jeff's from Idaho, he's just from Boise, so we've known Jeff for forever. Um, I um, just wanna do a couple things and then we'll jump in on this whole leadership. Um, first, I just, wanna, I just wanna publicly honor your leaders. Don't you just love Julian and Katia? <laughs> I, I, I deeply respect and admire your leaders. Uh, they, are, they are heaven on earth people. And you get close to them, they pull something out of you. They're like a greenhouse. And I just want to tell you as an outsider how blessed you are to have people like this that have given a full-hearted yes to Jesus, to pioneer in a city like Boston, like you are favored. Like you are in a warm hug from the Lord that He has brought you under the care and the nurture and into the environment and atmosphere that Julian and Katya carry in the Lord. I just, I just, you, I just want you to know that. That's that's free. That's not part of my message. But they are amazing. They fought for fruitfulness in the Lord, and they are contenders. And if they're not just going to fight for what they fight for in the Lord, they're going to fight for you, and you're going to get close to them, and they are going to pull heaven down into this environment. I believe that you guys are a blessed community that has been chosen by God. I don't know how you got here. You may have just stumbled through the doors. It may have been a random—it's not a coincidence. Whatever the story looks like on the outside, it is not a coincidence. God is authoring something significant here, and this is a blessed community, and I honor both of you. They, I look to them as leaders in my life, so— Uh, people that their voice has shaped julian came into my life just about a year ago and he pulled things out of me he pulled me into my future and there is such a heavenly orientation that both julian and katya carry that they are going to pull this community into the future that god is authoring at an individual level at a corporate level as a community and at a city level there is something amazing happening here amen all right well i love you guys thank you for having me here Um, Like they said, uh, the topic of leadership, I just want to set the stage for where I'm going to go to breach this topic, and you know, I'll just tell you my goal up front is I want to awe you with a vision of Jesus' heart today. I want you to literally be mesmerized when you leave here, when you see the heart of Jesus, who is the greatest leader that ever walked this earth, and, and to be compelled to open your heart further to the conviction of the Holy Spirit that he can have his way completely to form Jesus in you. Not just see him, but behold him and be transformed to become like him. Uh, I wanna look at leadership more of what I would say like leadership two. I think leadership one is like the outer things of leadership, skill, charisma, strategy, you know, even anointing, all the things that we do, that's wonderful. But I know a lot of people that like do all the right things and they're leaders and they have platforms, but they're not really leader two. And what I mean by leader two would be they are not imitators of Jesus. They don't look like him. They, they, they don't have the inside reality of a heart that looks like his heart. So at the end of the day, what are we really leading people to if our hearts don't look like Jesus? So I want to talk about maybe leadership too, kingdom leadership, whatever you want to call it. But I want to talk today about the heart that God is looking to promote. The, the heart that God looks at and says, I need to lift that heart up. That's the leader. You know, I, I ran uh, distance running a season uh, in my life. I ran, like, a couple half marathons and a marathon. If you haven't done it, it's way overrated, but we are in Boston, so maybe you've done it more than I think, but I, I you know, when you're running a marathon, there's, like, these pace people, and there's, like, I'm, I'm, like, running. I don't exactly know what I'm doing. It's my first time, and I start seeing these people. They're holding these little wooden sticks with numbers on it, and there's, like, crowds of people following them, and all pretty soon I'm looking at the numbers. I'm like, oh, it says three hours and 40 minutes. I'm like, that's, that's my pace, Like, I'm going to follow that guy because that stick tells me he knows what he's doing. You know, like there's that. So everybody just kind of follows. It's like, hey, follow him. He's done this before. I want to be the type of person. I think that we are all called to be the type of people that God would put that stick in our hands. That people say, this is the heart. This is the person that looks like Jesus. Behold and follow them. Imitate them as they're imitating Jesus. Yeah? So that's what I want to talk about today, all right? We're going to talk about that. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 22. We're going to read the Bible. Praise God. Who loves the Word of God? I know you do because your pastors disciple you into the Word of God. Luke 22. We're going to start just verse 24. Read a few verses says, there arose a dispute among the disciples. Anybody been a part of one of those before? Oh, we all have, unfortunately. As to which one of them was the greatest, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. Those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it's not this way with you. The one who's the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant for who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Like, I, I want to just do something. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt your ears, but it's going to demonstrate what Jesus is doing in this moment. He's taking the paradigm of leadership and effectively going, <laughs> do it with me. <laughs> <laughs> It's like there is such a grinding tension in this. Like you're like, no. Like, what are you doing, Jesus? What are you talking about that the greatest would become the least of these? And I think that we're still wrestling with what this means today. If you think you've got this figured out, you probably don't because it's not that simplistic. Right, so, so why does Jesus do this? What does this mean? I want to unpack this for the next 30 minutes or maybe 50 minutes or maybe an hour. I don't know, you know, a preacher can preach. The more you pull on me, the more I'm going to preach. So if, you, if you're hungry and you want to leave, just don't pull on the anointing. You know what I mean? But this is the question that I believe defines leadership. This is what I want to unpack. This is what I want to exhort to you. I want to, I want to lay this like a gauntlet to table church, is will you live to serve others and make them greater than yourself? And that is not an easy yes. I just want to warn you, that's a costly yes. That's not a yes that you just want to say yes. This is something that you need to count the cost and and recognize, do you want to say yes to this to build the tower, to complete the work? Because saying yes to that question will cost you a lot. It will change you. It will transform you. It will cost you comfort. It will cost you ego. It will cost you things. But if you want to be like Jesus, you know what the answer is. Will you live to serve others and make them greater than yourselves? Leadership is a super, like, cultural hot topic. Yeah, who's heard a TED Talk on leadership? Who's read a book on leadership? Right, a lot of you are students. Like, who talks about leadership these days, leadership culture? You know, everybody's got their different bent on leadership. I like it. I think it's a good topic. And the good news is that it's a hot topic in the Scripture as well. The the Bible is literally full of stories about leaders and what they do and what they don't do. And what their hearts are like and what they're not like. Uh, so it's good to know that the Bible is just as relevant today as it's ever been. And it has a lot to say about leadership. If you've read the book of Judges or the book of Kings or uh, the books of Chronicles, anybody? Yeah, they're, like, they're just like story after story after story after story about leadership. It's like a commentary on leadership. And you get this pretty sobering truth when you look at the scriptural narrative that as goes the heart of the leader, so goes the nation. Right as go the leaders so goes the nation this is like exciting and terrifying as go the leaders so goes the people As go the leaders, the house of God, the people of God, so goes the city. Like I think we put way too much authority sometimes on the outer things where where God really gives spiritual authority. The authority that we're going to talk about later when we put hands on Julian is what we do with the authority that God has given us, which as we just sang, he's he's above all the other names. All thrones and dominions and powers will bow to Jesus. What the heart of God's leaders do, so will the people. So will the culture go. I think we get so up in arms sometimes about what it's taking place in Washington, D.C., and Wall Street, and all these places, and we start pointing the fingers out to, like, can we believe how heathen and secular our nation's getting? And God's like, I'm just looking for my leaders. I'm just looking for my house and my people to, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, and everything else will work itself out because there is one source of authority that is higher than all human systems and structures of authority, all institutional authority. It will bow beneath the authority of Jesus. So if we will get a revelation of the heart of Jesus and become people that imitate, behold that heart, and give a wholehearted yes to become like the master, we will see transformation because as go the leaders, so go the people. Come on. I'm preaching a lot better than you're acting, but you're, you're just getting to know me. I know. I know. So, Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. I'm going to take a little bit of a dive into Deuteronomy, and then we're going to get to Jesus. Praise God. But I love the Old Testament. So, the book of Deuteronomy is a pretty amazing book. It means to give the law again, but it's not exactly just Moses re-giving the law to Israel. He's actually reframing the Torah to a new generation. Right? So the old generation has died in the wilderness. Its 40 years have passed. And there is this young, new generation that are poised to step into the promised land. And Moses is reframing. He's giving a prophetic message to this generation on the precipice of crossing the Jordan and stepping into the promised land. And he is hes he, it's like he's taking these first four books and the story of the patriarchs and, and the promises and the tabernacle and the law and all this. And he's, he's giving them this word. He's giving them an exhortation to prepare them to be successful when they cross over and step into the inheritance of the promised land. So this is, this is Moses being the good leader that's framing the words of God for the cultural moment that his people were facing, the transition that they're about to step into. And the first 11 chapters of Deuteronomy, you know what they focus on? The heart. They call it the heart section. If you you do this on your own, read through the first 11 chapters and underline every time you see the word heart or the word love, you'll be astonished. It's all about God's heart and the heart of leaders. Right in the first chapter, he starts talking about the leaders, the judges, the ones that were to, to demonstrate justice to the people. And Moses, just a couple verses that just will frame some of my favorite verses, really, in the Old Covenant. This is Deuteronomy 5.29. It says, oh, this is God speaking. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments that it might go well with them and with their children forever. To hear God's longing, Oh, that their hearts would be ones that feared the Lord so that I could bless them and the ones that they're leading and discipling forever. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 and you'll remember that the Lord your God led you all these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you. Why? To know what was in your heart, whether you'd keep the commandments of God or not. This is a startling statement. Moses is saying, the last 40 years, this is how I'd summarize it, God speaking, so that I could test you, so that I could see your heart. I could shape and form your heart. And Moses goes on and he gives these two, there's these two kind of themes of the heart that God is looking for. The first is that it would be a heart of love, Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. God is looking for, for hearts full of loyal love for Yahweh. He, Moses is reminding the generation, he's like, remember Abraham, who was loyal to Yahweh in the land of Baal. God is looking for lovers that are loyal to Yahweh in the land of Baal. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. That, that's terrible. I just erased that. I'm not speaking that. I love Boston. God loves Boston, right? But Abraham in the land, Baal and Asherah, there was the gods of fertility. Asherah was for fertility. Abraham is barren for decades, but he is loyal to Yahweh in the land of of the heathen idols. Moses is saying, this is the heart He's looking for hearts of loyal love, that just as God has set his love on you, he's looking for hearts that would set their affection upon him. Right, And then the next is righteousness and justice. Chapter 17, there's this this chapter speaking about kings. Moses says they're kings. Say leaders. When you see kings, when you see judges in the Bible, you got to think leadership, leadership, leadership. Moses is speaking. He says says the kings shouldn't get lots of wives, shouldn't get lots of gold. And then he says in verse uh, 19, he says that he should have the law and read the law all the days of his life and be careful to observe the words of the law in these statutes, that right here, that his heart say heart would not be lifted above his brothers and sisters. There's this, there's this twin phrase that shows up all throughout the Old Covenant, righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. And it has a communal um, orientation. It's not about just for me. It's actually an orientation. And you see all the prophets are coming. They're looking for the heart that has righteousness and justice for the person that would put the needs of the people before themselves that would have an others first than me heart ethic. And and he's saying, read the law and meditate because God is looking for a heart of righteousness and justice that would put the needs, that would actually serve the worthless to me person before myself. And this is why God is always looking for the leader that the poor would be lifted up. Because it's a demonstration that loyal love to Yahweh will work its way and manifest as one who lifts up the least of these and the hurting and the oppressed and the broken and the outsiders and the alien and the stranger. This is the heart. God is looking for a heart of loyal love and a heart that is bent towards righteousness and justice at a communal level. This is what Moses, this this is the message of Moses in Deuteronomy. He is calling, he's giving an exhortation. This is what the heart of God is longing for. This is the leader that will cause you to prosper in the land of your inheritance. How does it go? How does it go? Anybody, how does it go? How does this reel do? You get one leader, Joshua does really good. I know you guys went through Joshua this summer. And then Joshua dies, And the book of Judges and the book of Kings and Chronicles is written now. It's written hundreds of years later as Israel has gone astray, been exiled by God from the land. And they are writing these books in exile as a commentary on the heart of leadership that had gone wrong. They are trying to answer the question, why are we in Babylon? And the answer is because the heart of leaders was failed. It was corrupted instead of being a heart of loyal love to Yahweh that lifted up the least of these. You see story after story after story where the hearts concaved upon themselves and it became about me, me, me. This is one of the hesitations I have in the cultural moment on leadership is so much of it is about me, 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 me. I even see people leading on social media, leadership. But all I see with all their followers is post about me, 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 me. There's, there's, this, there's this corruption of the heart. This is why we have to see the one who had an uncorrupted heart. right? In the book of Kings Chronicles, they're, I, I, they're written to, to almost create a sense of a thirst to see a vision of the heart that Moses is talking about. Like, where is the heart that we can follow? Where's the heart of purity? Where is the heart of loyalty? Where is the heart of righteousness and justice that we can set our eyes upon to become like? Where? It's like we're searching. I was reading through the Kings earlier this year. It's probably six months ago, and I'm just reading, and it's like heart after heart after heart of King. It's like they failed. They didn't remove the high places. They turned to idolatry, and I literally was reading, and I had this visceral response in me. I just started weeping. It was like, Lord, I'm thirsting. I'm thirsting for purity. I'm thirsting for humility. I'm, I'm thirsty. Why do people turn to the left and to the right? Right? Because the thirst that these the judges and the kings, that they, there's a thirst in Israel as they were writing it, but I think there's the same thirst today. There's the same thirst today in the house of God in this nation. People are thirsting for something real. They're thirsting for something pure. They're thirsting for a heart that Moses is speaking about thousands of years ago. The same thirst is here today. It's like we should be longing for the glass of water of the real thing, the real leader, the real voice that we can follow. We have it. But we get to see it today. I hope we see him in a fresh eye. It's Jesus, it's pointing us to Jesus. The Old Testament concludes it leaves us thirsting for a righteous leader to emerge. And then Jesus of Nazareth appears from obscurity. He's baptized at the Jordan River. The Spirit of God comes upon him. The voice from heaven designates him as the Son of God, the Anointed One. And at this point in the text, what the Jewish audience is thinking is this is the next candidate in a long line of hopeful messiahs that failed. Right? That, that's what we've been reading in Scripture until we get to Jesus, is a bunch of people that maybe, maybe David's the one. That's ah, not him. So the Spirit comes on Jesus. And we're left to say, is he the heart? Is he the righteous heart? And this is amazing, you guys. What's the next thing that happens after Jesus gets baptized? Where does he go? Straight to the wilderness. Straight to the wilderness. Why? What happens in the wilderness? I test you so that I can see what's in your... Satan comes and tests Jesus three times and Jesus replies how? With the Word of God from which book? Deuteronomy, the heart section. We're getting insight. If you want to see Jesus's heart, look at what happens. I want to focus in on the temptation of power and kingdom. Satan comes, says, worship me. I will give you all the authority of all the kingdoms in the world. This is a leadership temptation. Oh. Worship me. I will make you the universal leader, Jesus. Right? And we forget sometimes, like, Jesus is being tempted. <laughs> right? Like, who's been tempted here? What's the universal sign that you're being tempted? Do you want it? Yes, you're not tempted if you're not wanting it, if it's not, if it's not appealing to something in you. Jesus is, is having a war of desire in this moment. Why? Why is Jesus being tempted? What is the temptation? Satan's saying you can have the glory and the power without the cross. What's he saying? He's saying, you can have the glory of leadership, Jesus, without the cost of leadership. You can become powerful, but forsake the responsibility of lifting up the powerless. You can be celebritized without worrying about the oppressed. You can make this about you, Jesus. You can lift your heart. Above the people. Right? And this is the shift. This is what Satan's trying to do. Take Jesus' eyes off the community, off the people of God, put it upon himself. Say, forsake the the cross, which is the way of self denial, and you can experience self gratification. Forsake your mandate to bring transformation, and instead of bringing transformation to the hurting, you will be worshiped and celebritized by them. They won't even realize it. You'll get the glory still. He was, right, s- Satan is trying to sever Jesus from an ethic of righteousness and justice. Yeah. What does Jesus say? Give me the cross. This is so beautiful could have had everything that he wanted, everything that he was created to receive, he could have had it. He said, give me the cross, because I came here for you. Philippians 2, Paul more poetically captures this. He says, even though he was created in the form of God, he didn't account equality with God something to be grasped, say grasped. This is Paul playing on an image throughout the Old Testament that, that Eve took from the tree of good and evil. That David took Bathsheba. That Abram took Hagar. Hagar. That the way of the flesh, it's the way of the self-gratification. It's the way of taking and grasping for me. And Paul's saying Jesus, instead of though he was God, did not grasp for power, authority, platform, influence, privilege, but rather he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, becoming even obedient to the point of death on a cross. And it's for this reason that God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name in heaven and in earth. This is our aim. This is the heart. This is the one we've been looking for. This is the picture of leadership. It just went out because this is so powerful.
0: <laughs> yes, it's great.
1: Do I need this? Can you hear me? Yeah. I'll just talk loud. Yeah. When, I, when, I was, uh, when I was 19 years old, my brother and I had a bit of like a sibling rivalry. He was two and a half years younger than me. And we, we grew up in a home that there was uh, uh, maybe a lack of affection in our home, particularly in a relationship with my dad. And it manifested like this, like sibling rivalry. And uh, we, we honestly had a really, really broken relationship. And we had both gone on these different journeys with the Lord. He'd gone to Africa and God, didn't see God do wonderful things. And I had gone away. I was in, in my university years. And we were back, all in the same house. My mom got me and my brothers together to pray. And as we're praying, the Lord speaks to me, and I didn't think it was the Lord. I heard a voice. And the voice said, go get a basin of water and wash your brother's feet and tell him you'll live to serve him and make him better than you. I said, get behind me, Satan. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word <laughs> you know, I, tr- I tried all the rebukes. Finally, the Lord says, "Stop it. It's me." Those words sent a, a, a chill to my spine. I was an athlete, I was the state champion. I was the standout. I was the bright light. My brother, in a lot of ways, was the screw-up. What do you mean? Make him better than me. My whole life had been a competition to this point. The Lord said, I'm asking you to wash your brother's feet and tell him, and he said, and this is a covenant moment. And I said, I was in a, all of a sudden found myself in this internal agony, and I made a decision to obey the voice, and I would say, obedience doesn't always feel good, but it always creates good. I went, I got the water, it's so awkward. I'm like, what am I doing? like, I'm supposed to wash your feet right now. And I'm washing his feet. It wasn't some spiritual holy moment where the angels of God, the chorus broke in. I was literally fighting. It was like almost through grit teeth. Like, why am I saying this? I know this is significant and I don't want to say it, God. But I said it and as I said it, something broke in me and it felt bitter. It wasn't joyful. It was bitter. Because I knew I just covenanted myself that, that, that was beyond where my character was. And over the next years of my life, God led me into humility, being humbled, being humiliated. I had so much pride, so much arrogance. I went into hiddenness. It was as if I was being stripped of everything that I thought my life was going to be built on. And at the same time, my brother began to be lifted up, began to see miracles, blind eyes opening, deaf ears being healed. He, he, got, he got exalted. He was preaching to hundreds, even thousands of people at times. Even in his young age, he's getting lifted up in university systems. And th- these moments... Where the competition would want to come out in me and the Lord would stop me and say, what are you going to do? How are you going to steward what I'm doing in your brother's life? Are you going to celebrate his success or are you going to pout? Are you going to distance yourself? And it is so humbling, but I had to go and repent to my brother so many times. I'm feeling threatened by you. I'm feeling like I want to pull back from you. I'm, I'm feeling like it was just this dying, this dying, this dying, this dying, this dying. It took years, and it was maybe three years in. And he calls me, just gotten this huge promotion. He was going to start preaching to like over a thousand people every week, leading these services. And I'd, be, I'd started in ministry at this point. I had a ministry with like six people in the back room of a church, a denominational church that I didn't even want to be at. And I'm like, Lord, What do I do? And he told me. And when he told me, it was for the first time, this is like three years, four years into this, something of joy sprung up inside of me. And I remember where I was. I called him. I hung up the phone. And for the first time, I truly, my first true response was joy that he had been exalted, even though I felt like I was dying in the wilderness and in hiddenness. And I just began worship saying, Lord, you are doing something inside of me. You are transforming my heart to start to look like your heart. And I followed it. I started being faithful to it. And then all of a sudden the Lord started adding more and more people into my life and more and more people in my leader. But it, it started to become the same ethic. What are you going to do? Are you going to make this about you? Or are you living to serve them? How are you going to handle it when other people are big? How are you going to handle it when things around you? And, 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 what are you going to do? Like, am I the only human in here that's ever felt competition? That's ever felt insecure? Huh. And I just I just made it. I want that heart, Jesus. I want that heart to become my heart. Ten years ago, I was in Mozambique. I don't know if you guys know Heidi Baker around here. I was with Heidi in Mozambique and... I had one of the most powerful prophetic moments of my life. She prophesied over me. It was this whole huge destiny moment of my life. And part of it is she said, you're gonna be preaching to hundreds of thousands of people. She said, I see it. She gave me this whole word. I mean, I just sobbed. It felt like I sobbed for a month afterwards. It was just, everything about it was just beyond what I could describe. That, that, that promise was like a seed in me that I stewarded. Thank you. I'm like, man, I'm like first time here and I'm a snotty mess front of the table Boston Lord help me Jesus help me Ten years, I'm stewarding this promise. I started ministry in such obscurity. I was like, how would this ever come to pass? And a a story that I don't even have time to tell you, but after a decade, it happened. And I found myself earlier this year in April, I'm preaching to a multitude of 110,000 people. And the night before this meeting, and I couldn't even tell you all the miracles to even get to this point. I don't even know how we get to this point. But my brother is there with me. And the night before, the Lord speaks to me, and he says, Jordan, you get to give this away to your brother. You get to give the pinnacle moment. He said, I want him to do the altar call. I want him to offer it. And this is the thing, guys, this is why I'm emotional. It's because it wasn't painful. It was joyful. And I literally, my brother woke up. I hadn't even told him yet. I said, Lord, this is crazy. But yes, he woke up in the morning. He said, I had this dream that me and you we're leading this Islamic man. We were in an Islamic nation, he said, and we were ham and egging, and you you were speaking to him, and then I came in, and I led him to the Lord. And I looked at him and said, yeah, dude, that's a dream. And I said, that's what's going to happen. I said, I'm going to open the night. I said, but you're going to close it. I was like, this is your moment. And I get emotional. I woke up the next day, and all I could feel was the pleasure of God. Because I said, I don't know how you have been able to transform my heart so much, Lord. And the more I do it, you could say, is this self-deprecation? Is this some kind of sick joke? You stewarded a promise for 10 years and then he asked for it? But that's not how I saw it. I said, wow, what if you just led me on this journey for another opportunity for me to open myself to the transformative work of the Holy Spirit so that my heart can become like your heart, the heart that is not grasping, but the heart that actually has been so transformed by the Spirit, by the fire of the Holy Spirit that your actual orientation, your, your, your response is to empty yourself and completely entrust yourself to the hands of Jesus. I'm not about self-deprecation. I want the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But my aim is that I want my heart to be the heart that God is looking to promote. I think there is no scarcity of anointing or calls. Like God has... Unlimited anointing and unlimited callings. There's not some sort of like few that he's got in the back pocket. I think what the true scarcity is in the body of Christ is the heart of Jesus that God can promote and lavish himself upon. I think it's one of the great griefs of the Father is that he cannot be as generous as he longs to be because the stewardship of what he wants to release would destroy us because we would follow the way of the kings and not the way of Jesus. I don't know where I am in my notes. I desire greatness. I think we are all created for greatness, but it's a different greatness. It is not the greatness of the world. It's the greatness of Jesus. It's not the greatness that puts our eyes on ourselves and builds our own empire and our platform and all these things. It's a greatness that sees the people. It's a greatness that follows the way of the cross. It's a greatness that resurrection power flows through. I want to exhort you, Church, Table, Boston, to set your aim on Jesus. Our job is not to procure promotion. It's to treasure the heart of Jesus and make it our aim to become like Him, to covet the humility of His heart and imitate Him, to choose the path of self-emptying and cast ourselves completely into His kind and benevolent hands. When we do this, I guarantee you, the promotion and the power of God will find itself to your way. (laughs) It's like inevitable. It's like spiritual law. (laughs) You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and at the proper time, He will lift you up. But when He lifts you up, you'll be able to steward it. I felt the Lord gave me a word for this church. I want to contextualize this word. I was writing this. I, I, I wrote this on the plane yesterday as I was flying here. I'll, I'll send it to Julian and Katia as well. And this is, I, I think it's just a sense of maybe an identity uh, and, and, and maybe something the Lord would want just, to just reveal to you. So, this is what I wrote. This is a big church. You may be in a startup phase, but I see the blueprint of this house, and it is audacious. I see this community being a seedbed of divine thoughts and ideas a table of inspired conversation that awakens the imagination of God's image bearers to dream bold dreams. I see a church that God uses to stimulate the big C church out of stagnated, routinistic patterns of thinking. I see a people that God uses to confront the world with the power and beauty of a renewed, transformed mind. The table will be known as a community of innovative thinkers, a people of wisdom, those who bring fresh perspectives and solutions to everyday problems. I see a company of Daniels being sent from this house to serve in the courts of Babylon, and I see them finding favor with kings. Voices will be equipped and sent from this house. One of the premier signs of Pentecost was an inspired tongue. The table will be known for its words, known as a people of inspired speech. I see ideas spreading, 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 spreading in the wind of the Spirit, seeds blown across church and state lines, seeds blown across oceans, taking plant and germinating in other lands. Much like Harvard is a seedbed for raising up thought leaders and cultural influencers, the table is a think tank for Jesus' plan of redemption to disseminate into the earth thought leaders, mind molders, and cultural architects will be fostered and developed within the atmosphere of wisdom and revelation cultivated in this community. This is a people who knows and who will reveal the mind of Christ to the earth. If half of that is true, if half of that is true, which I think it's beyond that, What this means is that God's vision for this community is that you would get bigger, not smaller. God is not intimidated by your bigness. He's desiring it. He's authoring it. The table is far bigger than Julian and Katya. It is. It is about you. In God's vision, the future that he sees for this church is bigger than what it is right now. And that means for you at an individual level and as a communal level. God knows the plans he has for you. And you're going to grow in wisdom and favor, authority and influence. But this is the question that will define you. Will you live to serve other people and make them better than yourselves? Will you follow the way of the world or the way of Jesus? Will your hearts fail or will you find the courage to humble yourself again and again and again under the mighty hand of God? Will you entrust your significance, your calling, your identity to the one who authored and formed you or will you try to take it for yourself? The question is not about potential. You have all the potential in the world. Well, the question is what will you do in light of the call? Will you follow the way of Jesus? Will you join the footsteps of the master? Will you follow him so closely that the dust from his feet is stuck on your garments? Or will you turn to the right or to the left? I believe the implications of this decision are so, so, Oh, that you would be a heart that fears me and obeys my commands, that I may bless you and those who follow you forever, forever, forever. It starts right here, right now in this room. How are you going to show up to one another? How are you going to act when someone how are you going to respond? Are you going to be a culture of celebration, of honor, of heartfelt humility and service? Or are you going to go the way of the world, competition, criticism, backstabbing, empire building, platform procuring? What are you going to do? It's right here. It's right in front of you. And as go the leaders, so go the people. As goes the heart of this community. You say, oh, this is a small church. No, it was 120 in an upper room that turned the Mediterranean world upside down. As go the hearts of Table Church. So goes Boston. This isn't some sort of wishful thinking. This is the mandate of Jesus. And he said, give me the cross so he could bring re- resurrection, transformation, power to oppressed, hurting, alienated, broken, lost, depressed, suicidal, hurting people. And in the kindness of his heart, he says, I want to use you. And all he needs is a heart that will humble itself in Want to exhort you to be a people who lead with the towel and let the world live to tell about it (laughs) i I, I want to just create a little space for the ministry of the holy spirit i i can feel your heart some of your hearts are um, almost like drinking of the humility of jesus i just sense that the spirit of god is here and there may be a sense of repentance there may be conviction for some of you, and, and, and if you just have this, maybe you not you don't know what to describe, but you something's something's there's a desire awakening inside of your heart. I just want to invite you to stand. If you're being convicted, if the spirit of God is upon you, I just want to invite you to stand and that you'd actually just open, right? We cannot do this alone. We need a helper, the Holy Spirit who baptizes with fire and fire transforms what we cannot transform so i just i just want to invite you to stand it's standing as a as a posture of even repentance it's a it's a place that just says i want to open my heart to the transformative fire of the holy spirit that 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 that, that he would Literally baptize hearts that he would he would burn up the chaff of insecurity and fear and Criticism and judgment and competition and I just have a sense that there's a liberty That the lord is wanting to bring in the inside of our hearts tonight So I just want you whatever it is I just want you to voice what is happening to the lord in prayer Like, like if it's repentance just repent if it's a desire for, for, for the humility of Jesus, whatever it is. And we just say, come, Lord. We just say, come, Holy Spirit. I thank you that you are, um, I almost sense that it's like when you eat salt, it creates thirst. And I had just a sense that the Lord is awakening a thirst, a desire For a renewed, transformed heart. And I just say, Holy Spirit, have your way in the hearts of this house tonight, God. Have your way in Table Boston. Have your way in this community. Have your way. We thank you, Jesus, that it's your heart. And I just ask that your heart would come and touch our hearts Right now, I have this sense that some of you, it's like the heart of Jesus is touching your heart. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Heart to heart. 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 heart. And if you want to humble yourself before the Lord tonight, I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know if you guys do the altar up front, but if you just even want to come and you feel compelled, have just a feeling there's a, there's a shifting, there's a breaking. I just take authority right now over a spirit of fear. I take authority over self-righteous pride. God, I take authority over the deception of pride right now. And I thank you that you are breaking the shackle. You are breaking... You are breaking, your anointing breaks the yoke, Lord. I just thank you, Lord, that you are shifting, that you are shifting, that you are melting, that you are softening, that you are softening. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Just look to Jesus. Just Jesus, it's Jesus. He's our hope. You're our salvation. Do what only you can do. Change what only you can change. Give us a new heart, God. Give us a new heart, Lord. Circumcise the heart tonight. Cut away the numbness of the flesh. Cut away the numbness. Cut away the competition. Cut away as far as the east is from the west. So have I removed your sin from you. Cut it away, God. Cut it away. Cut away. (laughs) This is the Sunday morning podcast from The Table Boston, where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. Find more from us at thetableboston.com.